Hey guys, welcome to the I Hope to Hear This podcast. Today we have Amanda Aslam, and much like last week's guest, Amanda is a Korean adoptee. She comes by today to tell us about her story, what got her interested in discovering her ethnic roots, and how she eventually came to meet her birth family. Amanda actually has a lot of information about the Korean adoptee community um, through the many organizations that she's a part of and just through her career and studies. So there's a lot of information here about the adoptee community that you guys might not know. So uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in and I hope you enjoy. Hello, Amanda. Welcome to the podcast. Um, thank you so much for being here with us today. Hi, David. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so um, it's very similar um, to last week's episode with Jeffrey Pranky. If you guys haven't heard that, well, make sure to go check that out. Um, I met Amanda Asselon, um through the KAC networking night. Um, and is it correct that you are also a board member of KAC? Yes, I'm a board member. This will be my second year um, as a board member with KAC, and I have moved into a co-VP position on the board now. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Um, and again, if you guys haven't caught, uh, Amanda's last name isn't the typical Korean uh, last name. And so, yeah, we're, we're hoping to kind of capture your life story um, as an adoptee. Um, but b- before we kind of get into your childhood and, and all that, can you give us just a, a brief intro, you know, who you are, what you do and, and things like that? Sure. Yes. So I am living in Atlanta, Georgia. I've been here about five years now. I did grow up as a Korean adoptee in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, I was adopted from uh, Seoul, Korea at three months old and uh, grew up in Tulsa. My parents, my dad, my last name's Italian. So he is Italian American and my mom is more like Irish German. Mm-hmm. And um, we also, I also have a sister who was adopted from Korea as well, like a year after me. So we were both babies. Um, and yeah, we grew up there. Um, I left Tulsa and kind of just started moving around back in 2007. So it's been a while since I've lived there. Um, but uh, I go back, my sister and my mom still live there. Oh. Um, yeah. Um, so in, uh, So what I did was I went through my career and background has been all in education, started out in school counseling, student affairs, and now I work in higher education research at the University of Tennessee, Um, but I live in Atlanta. um, Oh, interesting. How does that work? Is it a fully remote position or... It is. It's a fully remote position. Um, I did. I moved here actually after completing my doctoral program. I did a postdoc here in Atlanta, but I really liked it a lot and I really want to stay here. Mm -hmm. And I happened to just get really lucky and I found a position with the University of Tennessee and they are letting me work remote um, from Atlanta for now. Um, and then because of the pandemic, it's also worked out too. So, Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, then I should have introduced you as a doctor, Amanda, right? Oh yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, awesome. Yeah. And I also started teaching at, uh, in the higher ed program, uh, last summer. So that's been a fun experience this year. Okay, great. Wow. And, um, so I didn't get to ask Jeffrey this question, but I wanted to ask you, is your involvement with KAC um, as a result of kind of you trying to rediscover, or I guess discover your your Korean roots, or like how did you get involved with that organization? Yeah, no, it kind of is. So going back, growing up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I was adopted in the '70s. Um, and when you were adopted from Korea in the '70s, '80s, you're kind of just your parents were just like advised to just assimilate us to whatever culture they're in. So I very much grew up in a white community. Um, my sister was pretty much the only other Asian American I knew, and um, did not know anything about being Korean or even really Asian American. Um, as I got into college and started like working more like kind of out of my bubble community of Tulsa, um, I became more interested in, you know, my um, ethnic background and actually as a doctoral student, um, and this is like well into my thirties, I went back and did, um, my doctoral work. I guess I was around 32 at the time. I just started getting interested in like Asian American students and how to advise them growing up in all the spaces I worked, I was usually pretty much, well, the only Asian and almost usually mostly the only person of color who wasn't white. 
So I would like if there were students who I when I was a high school counselor, they kind of like students of color, they just kind of flocked to me. But mm. I, and I was also used to very much as a token, like person of color and all the pictures and all that stuff, you know, mm. pretty much my whole life. Um, but when I was asked to talk about, you know, my experiences, it was very hard to articulate that because I never talked about it before. Mm. We pretty much grew up in a very colorblind society. Um, so when I started doing my doctoral work, um, we were studying lots of different students of color. My um, advisor was a native scholar and she studied a lot of native American students. So I kind of be, was became interested in studying Asian American students. And that's how I kind of got into um, exploring, you know, what it's like to be Asian American and, and go through, you know, school with the model minority myth stereotype on you and all that. Mm. And that kind of led me to open up more with my identity as a Korean adoptee. And I got involved in the Korean adoptee community on a national level, started going to those conferences. Um, my dissertation was all on Asian American community college students. And um, that oh, work, wow. yeah, that work connected me to a lot of Asian American networks. Um, but it's funny because then I'd go back to Tulsa and then all my friends who are all pretty much white, you know, were like, what are you doing? You know, because they did see me as being Asian American or even Korean. In fact, I remember one friend asking me, like, why are you doing this work? Um, I thought that, you know, you were from Asia, but I guess she didn't realize that Korea is in Asia. So, <laughs> like, you know, when you have those types of experiences, growing, you know, you just, yeah, it's, it's very, it's interesting. So where do you go from there? <laughs> Yeah, so um, that brought me to Atlanta and then um, to, you know, I worked for a civil rights um, ed higher education program here. It was a, it's a foundation and, um, and I was able to continue um, doing like Asian American work, but then I happened to run into Jung uh, Wook, who you also interviewed yeah. um, at an Asian American advancing justice uh, summit or was it a summit? It was like a, I think it was like, a one day program um, mm -hmm. that they had. And um, I decided to just go on my own. I had heard there was a really large Korean community in Atlanta, but I hadn't really connected with it yet. And um, so Jung, I remember meeting her, I got lost um, and I couldn't find my car because we were downtown somewhere. And mm -hmm. I didn't even remember which parking lot I parked in. So she just stopped me at the elevator and I told her I was lost and she just helped me find my car. Oh, wow. So Yeah. And then we became friends after that. We connected and um, then she introduced me to the to the KAC community. I see. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, I, I'm really interested um, in hearing kind of your whole life story. Um, mm -hmm. One of the questions I asked Jeffrey um, and I, I still think it's a silly question, but I need to ask um, like, were you always aware that you were adopted? Like you look different or was there a point in your childhood where you suddenly realized, oh, I, I must be adopted? Or like, how did that kind of journey um, start for you? Yeah, so no, we are always aware. I mean, my parents are very, very white, like very different. And so it's it's obvious that we're adopted and they never, they never like held that back at all. Mm -hmm. um, and in fact, growing up in Tulsa, there was a community about, a small little community because actually I was adopted through Dillon International and their headquarters is in Tulsa. So um, my parents became friends with some other, another couple who had adopted some uh, children from Korea. And then there was just a handful of us. So we would have like little reunions like once mm. a year. And um, in that, yeah, that pretty much went on. I think kids ended up moving away. I think I was around 10. But this was before, like now they have all these like Korean adoptee cultural camps and stuff, um, but they don't, I think they do that now in Tulsa, but they did not do that in the eighties. Oh. Um, so, so yeah, so I always knew I was adopted. I always knew I was different. I never really thought I was white. Like, you know, a lot of adoptees think they are, um, mm -hmm. but I did sometimes forget some, you know, cause you're in your, you just sometimes you just forget, you, you kind of do end up just not even thinking about your race or background or anything um, until you're like, you step out of your circle and someone reminds you. So, mm. yeah. so, so would you say growing up, you had a positive, cause I mean, I'm trying to be careful here cause this can be kind of a personal question, but um, you know, you hear some stories about adoptees having negative experiences with their adoptive parents. Um, mm -hmm. Like, but how was your experience growing up in a Caucasian family? Yeah, so my experience, I would say, is a definitely a positive experience. Mm -hmm. um, it was good. My uh, parents 
well, they're a little bit older. So um, like when, by the time they you know, decided to adopt my sister and I, they were really ready to just be parents and focus on, you know, their children. Mm. Um, so they made us definitely a priority and anything we needed or, or wanted, you know, like they provided. And um, so, yes, my experience was, was a good one. We, you know, we were very active, involved um, in school and extracurricular activities. They kind of did, I would say they did shelter us a lot, you know, um, so they made sure to be very selective on who we were around. Um, not to say I did, we didn't experience racism because we did, um, but it wasn't like, you know, we weren't bullied, like, you know, like a lot of adoptees unfortunately have experienced. And that's another thing too, like there are so many of us um, that everyone's experience is very different and unique. Yeah. Um, and you know, as I've become more active and involved in the adoptee community, I, I do realize that I really was lucky. I really was one of the lucky ones mm. um, because, um, you know, it could have it could have been totally the opposite. Um, so, yeah. So then um, you're, you're I'm guessing your early childhood generally positive, um, although you, you did kind of run into the whole like racism thing from here and there. But when would you say like, or actually, let me ask this question first. Did you ever have kind of an internal identity crisis? Um, because the way that you look and like the culture and the way that you were raised um, were, were very different, right? Mm -hmm. yes. So when would you say that your earliest recollection of that internal conflict like started bubbling up? I mean, I don't really know if I ever really had a crisis. Maybe like when I really started becoming interested um, and that would be towards the end of like my doctoral program in my thirties, which is mm -hmm. common for a lot of adoptees too, to really, they don't really start thinking about, and this was also a time like, you know, I will share that I was married and, um, and I didn't feel like I was very connected, you know, to the person who I married and, um, yes. And he, he, he is white. Um, and so when I became more interested in my, Asian American identity. And I didn't really feel like he was much of a support for that. So maybe that could have been maybe my crisis. I don't know. And going through the divorce and wanting to like discover, you know, who I am. And um, that's kind of what brought me to Atlanta and, you know, I became more interested in doing more, being around more Asian Americans, Korean Americans. And I, you know, I guess I'm still there. So but I mean, there are definitely times through my childhood where, you know, um, I would be interested in, you know, in learning more about, you know, Asian Americans and Korean Americans. I just didn't have the resources available to me to help me. So, you know, you would meet someone um, who was Asian American and you would talk to them and you'd get excited. Um, but then where do you go from there? You know, right. So, yeah. yeah. But so yeah. you said it was common that adoptees start kind of exploring their Asian roots in the 30s. Mm -hmm. um, that's surprising to me because I, I would have imagined that, you know, because you know, a lot of us go through kind of this, uh, like figuring out your identity kind of thing, mm -hmm. like late high school, like college, right? Mm -hmm. um, but did, do you have any sort of sense of idea why in their 30s, it, it's more common for adoptees to explore their roots? Yeah, so I think it's more maybe the adoptees who were adopted in the 70s and 80s who didn't have a chance to really connect with any type of Asian American community, because I do feel like the younger generation who's adopted now, they kind of start really, they are, um, when they get to college, because mm. like they have those resources there. When we went to college in the 90s, you know, in the early 90s, yeah, early 90s, middle 90s, whatever, there, it still was very much like a colorblind society. Like, you know, um, and I think, and that also depends on where you go to college too. Me growing up in Oklahoma, and I also went to college in Oklahoma, there just wasn't a lot of diversity at the time. Mm. Um, I do remember like the president of my, the Asian American Association at my university, which was super small, actually was half black and half Asian. And he hmm. looked, he looked more black than Asian. And he, I remember he tried to get me involved and I was just like, no, like I look very much more Asian than you. And this mm. is really weird for me. But um, I think why it happens, maybe, and this is what I've thought about is it's like, I think by the time you get to the thirties, you've kind of figured out everything you can about yourself. Like you've finished your education. You've gotten maybe more into your career path. You've kind of probably got married, started having kids settle down a little bit more. And so I think kind of like 
that's kind of one of the things that's, that's left, that's kind of in the back of your mind, wondering about is where am I from? Who am I? Like, you know, and then because you do grow up your whole life, everybody who meets you, who they don't know you as an adoptee, they ask you where, you, where you're from, if you know the language, if you've ever tried to find your birth parents, you know, um, yeah, they ask you a ton of questions about being Korean and you can't answer. So maybe by the time, you know, you're in your thirties, which I think it felt like for me, I kind of wanted to know those answers. So that's kind of maybe what I'm thinking might be it, but everybody, again, everybody has their own reason. So also I think a lot of people I know who started having children, um, they want to explore because of medical reasons for their kids. And, and so. oh, I see for more of a, a comprehensive family history and all that. Yes. I see. Mm-hmm. I see. Yeah. So then um, when you started like wondering about these things, did you have any sort of tension about, you know, cause I'm sure there, there is a, at a certain point where you kind of want to reject your Asian-ness right because you're surrounded by all these you know white people um so um how were you able to kind of reconcile those things like reconcile your desire to reject the way you look versus well I'm actually starting to become more curious about it yeah I, I think it was during my 20s maybe up until my yeah most of like being a younger you just want to fit in and look like everyone else right um, and yeah, that's what I tried to do. I think most people do. And then I think just as you get older and you just start becoming more confident and you, like you start accomplishing stuff in life, you feel better about yourself. You kind of do in fact, start embracing your uniqueness, you know? Mm. So I think it's just something I just grew into as I like grew, you know, developed and, and matured and, and stuff. So yeah, so I did, I want to joke like most of my pretty much through high school and the early part of my twenties, I would color my hair and highlight my hair. And then one day I was like, I'm sick of this. I really like having Asian dark hair. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to embrace that. And um, yeah, you kind of go through a period where you're just, yeah, you want to just be yourself and you're proud of who you are. Um, Yeah. So I don't really know how, when, or how, I think I just, yeah, as as I, I think maybe after graduate school, um, Mm -hmm you know, I realized like I was really confident and happy with who I was. So. Gotcha. So then then can you um, kind of walk us through? So um, like from the moment you started, you know, let's say the moment you moved to Atlanta, you, you met Jungwook, um, you kind of started exploring the Asian American community Mm -hmm. um, leading up to, because you actually, you know, went through a process of like trying to reach out to your um, birth family and all of that. Right. So. Correct. Okay, can you kind of walk us through that process, like what you were going through internally? Like, um, like did you have like a conflict because, you know, you, you feel bad towards your, your adoptive parents, but you also are curious, you know, can you just yeah, yeah. walk us through that whole process? Sure, sure. Yes and no, it was really, it was really interesting. So when I became friends with Jung, her husband's actually also a Korean adoptee. So I kind of befriended him oh. too. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and uh, we actually, and I knew the Korean adoptees on the national level, because I started going to Khan, which is one of the Korean adoptee um, conferences. That's like, it's a local one. And, and then I had heard that there was a huge adoptee community also in Atlanta. So um, we kind of became more involved in that. Uh, at the time, we were doing more social stuff where we were just meeting for lunches or dinners, and it was just a handful of us. Um, and then we decided there was a little handful of us who decided to start up um, like an actual association group. And um, so I was kind of one of the ones who was co-leading that and it's the Korean Adoptee Association of Georgia. And um, we got connected with, K- well, we were already connected with Casey and they in- actually invited us to do this like empowerment workshop for one of the events they had um, to just kind of introduce the adoptee community in Atlanta to the Korean community. Mm. Um, so we did that, got connected with the Korean consulate and then they started kind of inviting us to do more stuff with them, like dinners and stuff. And, and um, also like Korea right now is going through a lot of like, they really feel bad about 
like adopting out so many of their children. I mean, I think the numbers change all the time. Like, I think it's like over 400,000 probably were adopted since the like wow. out, you know, and Korea is also recognized as like the country who adopted out the most kids. So, um, huh. yeah, so they are trying to do what they can to like, I guess, just help us as adoptees, um, because a lot of adoptees have gone back to Korea, um, you know, who we're, you know, basically saying our lives were not perfect or great, you know, and, and mm. a lot of adoptees are angry and they did not have great experiences. And in fact, a lot of adoptees also don't have citizenship. So they're being um, like, yeah, uh, they they're being sent back to Korea, you know, from the so yeah. adoptees who grew up in America don't have American citizenships. Yes. Yes. So that's another organization too. Yes. So there wow. are adoptees. Yes, there are adoptees who ended up getting adopted to the U.S. whose um, parents, for whatever reasons, didn't get them naturalized or they were rehomed, which means they were adopted and moved around a lot um, or they, they were just neglected. They got lost in the system. Yes. So they um, yeah. So they ha there have been adoptees that have been deported back to Korea and other countries as well. Um, so. Anyway, so we got we got going with um, the adoptee association. We started doing more stuff, connected with other adoptee associations in the U.S. And then there were there's um, the welfare uh, government welfare program. Human, I can't remember the name for some reason, but uh, it used to be Korean Adoptee Services, but uh, they came down from uh, Korea. I think now it's like the NCRC National. Center for the Rights of the Children is what it's called. So it's the Korean organization that came down to Georgia and they took us out to dinner and they pretty much gave us this like form and they said, hey, if you're interested in looking for your birth family, you can fill out this form and send it back to us. And I never really thought about it. Like most adoptees, like it's like, you know, you just think you can't because I grew up and that's another thing too. I grew up the paperwork that they gave me as an adoptee is, is a lie, which most of it is because they try to make everything sound really positive and great. Mm -hmm. So my story or not positive and great, I'm sorry. They tried to make it seem like make sense why you were given up. So my story was my mom was a single mom and she was very young and her and my birth father had a big argument and he ran off and left her. Then she realized she was pregnant with me and that's why she went and she gave me up for adoption. So, um, you know, and she wanted, yeah. So that was the story that I had for pretty much 40 years of my life. So I was like, okay, there's no way I'm going to find this woman. She's like, you know, I hope she's doing well or whatever, but you know, she's probably remarried, moved on, whatever. So I, so I sat on this form for a while and I was like, you know, and this is kind of the same story as Jeffrey. He, he had a friend give him the form. So I decided on a whim, you know what, I'm going to just fill this out and send it in. Because I also know a lot of other adoptees who have been trying to find their birth family since like their childhood and they have had, you know, no luck. Well, three months later, I get a letter basically saying, yeah, we found your family and you are the sixth daughter and you're, the reason why you were given up for adoption is because um, your father, yeah, so your parents are you know, still married. Unfortunately, my birth father had passed away a year before. So um, it was actually my oldest sister who was like um, writing the letter. Um, and my mom is in a nursing home with Alzheimer's. So mm -hmm. they were like, but you're the sixth sister. And the reason why you were given up for adoption is because your father was the oldest son of a family and he had a lot of pressure to have a son. So they kept trying to have children and um, I guess I was like the last try or whatever. And, it, you know, so that's why I was given up. And um, so, yeah, so that was <laughs> like a huge, wow. like, okay. Um, so, yeah, so I processed that. I think I'm still processing that. Yeah. And then I went, um, you know, and I met them in uh, the summer of 2019. I got to go to Korea for the first time and meet them. I met my sisters, I met my birth mom in the, in the nursing home, and I've uh, stayed in contact with my sisters. They're all great. Um, they all, like, yes, I do, like, because we had a, we've only met in person, well, twice, because we got to get together twice when I was in Korea, um, and it was through a translator. I don't know all their, you know, their stories. I do know that like the grandmother was a really evil lady, they say, and she had put a lot of pressure on my dad. Um, and he, she was very angry for him not having a son. Cause I guess wow. my grandfather, my dad's 
father had died young and left her with a family business or whatever. And um, she had a lot, I guess, I don't think she was a very happy woman Mm. from what I hear. Um, But that uh, she kind of took in the older three kids or older three daughters, I think, but the last two daughters, she didn't want anything to do with. And so that made it hard on my mom because my dad was like in the construction business and traveling overseas a lot. And so that, yeah. um, So it was interesting. (laughs) So, so to, you know, find out all that, but it does look like they grew up. They're very close. They, you know, they send me pictures of them growing up together and they, they get together all the time. Um, So yeah, that was, um, that was nice to see that they are a very close family. Um, All of them, except for one has, they've gotten married and they have kids too. Oh, wow. Wait. So (laughs) just, just to go back a little bit. Because for for your entire life, right? You think, mm-hmm. oh, my mom was a single mom, and she couldn't take. So when you found out the truth, like, what did you like? How did you? What were the emotions that were that came up? Yeah, a lot of emotions. I think I've gone through all the emotions. There's a little. You do go through a little, like, well, for shock, and then maybe a little sad, a little angry, like, what the heck, you yeah. know. Um, And yeah, sometimes I think I still go through that, you know, Um, but then, you know, at the end of the day, and I I think I am lucky, I am happy with where I am in my life right now and in in who I am. And, you know, I wouldn't be here if I wasn't adopted. So, you know, I, yeah, I definitely um, think, you know, I don't hold any, you know, grudges um, and I'm kind of in the mindset, let's just move forward and make the best of the situation. yeah, I mean, and I, I will, you know, sometimes when my sisters do share pictures of them together as kids, you know, like, yeah, I might have a minute where I'm or a second, you know, where I'm like, dang, you know, I could have been there. But then I'm like, no, you know, this is my life. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I it's OK, you know, um, but, you know, like a lot of adoptees and this is where I became friends with Jeffrey, like pretty close with him and some other adoptees who've been in reunion. A lot of adoptees think, you know, you reunite with your birth family and your life is just perfect and whatever. No, it, it just opens yeah. up a whole different uh, bunch of stuff, you know? Yeah, and yeah. Um, yeah, so hopefully after the pandemic, I can get back to Korea and start, um, you know, getting to know them more. Mm-hmm. Right now, we just talk through Kakao Talk yeah um it's not you know like i'm not to the point where i can like pick up and do a video call with them at all right Um, but it it is making me more feel like more connected to the korean american community um i'm trying to learn the language (laughs) i did start taking classes i'm not taking them right now but i did Mm -hmm. start taking classes to try to learn so that i can communicate with them i've gotten into watching a lot of korean dramas lately (laughs) (laughs) and um and i love the food like i love korean food um, I pretty much eat it like almost every day. So. Oh, wow. And one thing um, that I learned from my interview with Jeffrey was that the the reunification can't really happen unless both sides are willing, right? Yes. Um, yes. So like, what, were your sisters trying to contact you for a while before you, you finally said, oh yeah, I'll, I'll give this a shot and you filled out the form and sent it in? Or like, how did the timing of that work? Yeah, no, I don't think they were. But what was interesting is my oldest sister remembers my mom being pregnant with me and leaving and coming back really sad. And she thought that that I had died. But then my youngest sister, I guess she said there was a period, I think in her early 20s or something where like all of her sisters were getting married and moving out of the house or something. And she was really depressed. And my mom, my birth mother confided in her, well, you know, there's another one, there's another sister, you have a sister out there. And um, please promise me you'll go find her. So I think she went, yeah, she did go to the older sisters and said and told them, but they were like, no, 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 the baby died or something. Mm -hmm. And so she had, they had been told about me um, or they knew that, but they didn't know, they didn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. Um, It's kind of like, you know, like, yeah, you don't really know how do you go about finding your (laughs) sister, you know, Yeah. yeah. So, and then my mom, I think at the time had Alzheimer's, so she couldn't really talk um, or tell them so oh so that's why your older sisters were thinking oh she's just confused like the baby died and she doesn't I guess I don't Mm. know um well maybe I mean at the time when she told my sister I don't think she had all time but but yeah at that moment I think 
I think, you know, I don't know. Cause that's, mm-hmm. those are some of the things that when you're dealing with a translator, you have limited questions you can ask. And right. yeah. And that, that whole experience reuniting with the translators, that's another whole experience that is uh, very, very strange because mm-hmm. um, yeah, adopt, you know, Koreans are very private people <laughs> and they don't yeah. want to share a lot of stuff with a stranger. And um, so, you know, we had to be very, yeah, you know, it was very surface level at first, but, mm. um, but I clicked it, I clicked, uh, clicked, I clicked with my sisters immediately. Um, I felt like, yeah, they're very fun group, you know, people, um, even the translator who was with me said, you know, she really enjoyed spending the day with them mm. too. So, yeah. So do they look like you? They um, do. So yes. how was that like suddenly seeing like five people that kind of look similar to you, you just met? That was strange. Yeah. And I look a lot like my birth father. So I saw a lot of their pictures and they gave me some pictures. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's very, it's very fun. It, it, it's fun. Yeah. Because you grow up not looking like anyone in your family. So, um, but yeah. And then like one of my sister's like daughters, I feel like we resemble each other a lot too. And especially, you know, when I was younger. So yeah, it's neat. Yeah. Mm. It's really cool. It's a cool experience. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So wow. can I ask you about your journey now? So you've met your birth family. You, you talk to them through a text sometimes. Mm-hmm. But it, it sounds like you are now kind of uh, a little bit more open to embracing the Korean uh, culture. You, like you were saying, you eat the you eat Korean food all the time. So how has that process been? Because you're entering a completely foreign culture, right? And yeah. you're you're trying to embrace it. So how yeah. has that journey been? I I mean I love it. It's very exciting. Um, I do feel like I was ready for this. You know, I was open for this. I'm pretty open minded, and yeah, I'm. Le- I feel like I'm learning something new every day, which I like. Um, I'm meeting more people. I met you, you know, through KC. Um, yeah, I really. It's been great. Um, so I never really considered myself a foodie. Like growing up, I didn't really like. Uh, I had a lot of like. I guess you would say like stomach issues with a lot of like the food I would eat, like Italian food or like, Mm. you know, and stuff. So, but I, for some reason, I feel like the Korean food just sits well with me. And I think it's just part, I don't know, you know, they say it's like (laughs) comfort food. Us adoptees call it comfort food. So I love it. Like it's the first time where I actually crave something to eat. Um, You know, I think before food was always something that you just had to eat to live, you know, (laughs) but Mm. now you like, and then you change to live to eat, you know, so, yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's been great. Um, it, yeah, just like talking and learning about, you know, the history and just how like cultural norms in Korea and, you know, comparing it to with what, you know, my norms were and um, yeah, growing up in Tulsa, Oklahoma. <laughs> so it's, it's neat. Um, can, I really- can I ask, um, what, what are some of the more shocking things about the Korean culture that you learned that you were just like, whoa, that's, that's so weird? Well, the whole, um, you know, having a boy back then and how, and I, I get it because mm. it's kind of similar to the Italian culture too, which I also was kind of, you know, raised in, um, you know, the oldest son is a big deal and the oldest son has a lot of responsibilities. Um, and how like women, you know, just traditionally women just really don't really matter, <laughs> you know? Mm. So um, that, you know, has been something, you know, to get used to and, you know, because that's not how it is, you know, in America. Right. Um, you know, something else I think is funny uh, that I, is just like how, I don't know how to, like Koreans really, really just stick with Koreans. You know mm. what I mean? Like they're, they're such a group that just, um, they're not really interested in a lot of Koreans aren't interested in um, interacting or engaging with other people <laughs> unless you're Korean and like in um, oh yeah I don't know how to explain this like, so like some people like when they say American even though there's a lot of Korean Americans like when they say American they mean white or black they don't mean right. Asian. Yeah, yeah. That took a while to get, you know, when somebody was like, oh, like they asked me if my ex-husband was American. I'm like, what? I'm American, you know? (laughs) Right, right. So just stuff like that, Um, Mm. you know, yeah. What other, I'm sure there's a ton of stuff. Do do you, do you feel like then um, when you engage with other Korean Americans, do you ever, do you sometimes feel like 
um, their level of, level of engagement falls when you reveal that you were adopted or have you had any experience like that? Um, it depends. I think I've been very fortunate where I have been around a lot of Koreans um, that have been very welcoming and open and interested in, mm. in my background. I haven't really run across any that were like just, um, oh, I don't want anything to do with you, you know, oh, or, right. which I know a lot of adoptees have had that experience. Mm. Um, but no, I feel like I've been very lucky to just, so I do, maybe, I, I don't, I think maybe sometimes when I've met adoptees, um, they, or not adoptees, I'm sorry, I've met other Koreans, they maybe don't know what to say to me. So, um, you know, but I, and, you know, which I guess I'm used to, but I think that's also with anybody, you know, when you say you're adopted from Korea, it takes a minute for them to be like, oh, okay, you know, unless they know someone else who's adopted from Korea, this is something new to them. Hmm. Um, but, you know, I did get involved in NUAC. Um, so Sarah Park has been great. Sarah and Mike Park, they're also members of the KAC. Actually, Sarah's president now of KAC. Oh. She got me involved in NUAC. And NUAC, I don't really know, I can't remember the, Per, the it's like the national unification something but you know it's a okay. I don't know if you've heard of it but it's a traditionally uh, first generation Korean organization and they are focused in like engaging all Koreans from all over the world together to try to get the two countries uh, unified is that right or reunited or what yeah oh so, okay yeah so she got me involved in that because I think she's younger, she, and she's wanting the organization to be more inclusive of like second gen Korean Americans and adoptees over, you know, overseas and stuff. Um, so that I did that for almost a year and every event that we went to was all spoken only in Korean. Um, so it was not, it wasn't, it wasn't a great experience for me mm. in that because I didn't understand anything. Yeah. Um, but the people, when I actually would talk to them one-on-one, -on -one, they were very friendly and they were like, you know, very much like, let me know if you need any help and I'll help you like, you know, with the translation, but all the communication and all the events were in Korean. So, um, pretty much after the one year, I was like, this isn't for me, you know, mm. but I gave it a shot. Um, and I learned, I learned a lot from it. Um, yeah. You know, um, because and so I would say, and it's going back to your question, I would say that organization was probably the first time I maybe experienced some Korean Koreans who really did not want anything to do with me because mm -hmm. I was adopted because, you know, because I feel like that was more that's more of a networking organization. And when they met me, they were like, I can't get anything from you. <laughs> you can't help oh, me. Wow. So um, I did feel that way, you know, so maybe that's like the first time I felt like kind of like really much like an, a big outsider, like this is, I don't belong here. So. Mm. Wow. You know, the, the thing that's really shocking to me um, as I talk to you guys, um, I'm, I'm learning that there are a lot of organizations out there that um, are trying to support, you know, adoptees or like, you know, trying to get them kind of connected with the larger Korean group. Um, so are, do you feel like they're effective? Um, just in terms of their purpose and goals? I do, I do. But, you know, as an adopt, like you, for the, uh, they are if you want it. You know, it's mm. kind of like anything you do, you have to really, what you want out of it and what, you know, what your goals are. Yeah, you can get them. Um, mm. If you really want to engage with other adoptees in the Korean community, yes, you can go join these orgs and they will welcome you and you can do it. It's not easy and you really have to want it bad or, mm. you know, and one bad experience could turn away, you know, uh, you know, could push anyone away. Right, um, right. But yeah, no, uh, but the thing is with adoptees, a lot of adoptees struggle with, um, you know, how do they even initiate that and start that? Like, where do I go? You know, it's, it's hard. Um, I don't know, you know, like I have, you know, my sister, for example, who's still in Tulsa, she's not, she's the opposite of me, mm. like, you know, exploring her identity and background. Like she's, she does it in little spurts, I guess, but she's not going to just jump in like I did, you know? Mm. Um, Cause it is, it's, it's a constant reminder that you are very different when you pretty much spend your whole life trying not to have that feeling, you know? Yeah. And um, yeah, cause a part of you, you know, this is, you know, you are interested. I think, you know, a lot of adoptees will try to say, oh, I was never interested in finding my family or never interested in finding my background or whatever. And I mean, mate, you know, mate, I don't know, maybe you go through times, you know, but I think everybody just being a human has that like, curiosity you know where did I come from right you know yeah. so 
So um, can you then uh, speak a little bit on, on a macro level? Because um, you have met a lot of other Korean adopt Korean American or Korean adoptees, sorry. Mm -hmm. um, like what are what are some experiences? Um, because what I'm hearing from you and like from Jeffrey, like you guys have you know, generally positive experiences with both your adoptive parents and with like the reunification process. Um, but um, I mean, you guys both made it a point to uh, to put the disclaimer out there that that's not always the case, mm -hmm. right? So like what, what happens to some of the people that don't have a positive uh, experience? Um, well, we have support groups. Um, we, we have like, you know, Korean adoptee Facebook groups. Um, we have these conferences that you can come to if you're interested, you know, in doing that, which is hard. I think every city has like a Korean adoptee group that they get together for dinners and lunches mm -hmm. um, where people can just get together with each other. Um, you know, I think, or, you know, some adoptees just don't ever want anything to do with being adopted or Korean, you know, and that's mm -hmm. fine. Like they mm -hmm. just don't want, you know, they just, find their other, whatever other interests they're in. And um, that's where they go. Um, I got involved, you know, I, I get involved with organizations. I've always kind of been like that. Um, like there is the one organization, Adoptees for Justice, uh, which I was very, in, very involved in um, last year. Um, and they are basically focused right now on passing the Adoptee Citizenship Act um, mm. and getting that through, you know, the Senate and, and getting that passed so that all adoptees who are adopted um, internationally can, will automatically have citizenship. So, um, yeah. That, yeah. that blows my mind that mm -hmm. there are people who literally, I mean, they grew up here. That's, mm -hmm. and that's their culture. This is their like home, but then they're told suddenly that they have to go somewhere that's completely foreign to them and like, mm -hmm. oh, you don't belong here. So you have to go back. That's crazy that that yeah. happens. Yeah. Wow. I definitely recommend looking up adoptees for justice and mm -hmm. Korean, you know, I think, and actually, I think that's one of the reasons why the Korean government stepped in and all of a sudden started really like wanting to do something to help us because uh, Philip Clay is an, a Korean adoptee who was adopted um, to the United States. He got in some trouble. He had like serious mental issues. A lot of adoptees who are adopted, of course, like, you know, older and they are like grow up in an orphanage and then they're, you know, adopted into this like foreign country. You're going to have some issues that need to be addressed. And if you're not with the right type of family that's going to help you address those issues, they're just, you know, they're going to, they're not going to go away. And yeah. um, so he ended up getting deported back to Korea and he ended up committing suicide. I think he jumped yeah. off a building, but it was a huge deal because he was very pretty much known there, you know, like he kept ending up in the prison and they couldn't help him because mm. Korea at the time didn't have, you know, they weren't addressing mental illness. They didn't have the resources to help him. So I think after that happened and there was a huge outcry by the adoptee community that like we need help, that's when the government started actually trying to do stuff. And, um, and they, yeah, they are, I mean, they're doing the best they can. Um, but, but yeah. no, there's a lot of adoptees who do suffer from severe depression, addiction, um, suicide, uh, and, yeah, uh, you know, we we do have these support groups that are like Facebook groups and stuff and organizations that um, I know a lot of people in Georgia, they found out that I, you know, I'm helping leading some of the stuff with the adoptees here in Georgia. So they'll reach out to me and they'll ask if I know of a counselor who specializes in international adoption and I will, you know, send them what I know. And um, wow. yeah, awesome. Yep, so. so then let me ask if as a Korean American, um, me personally, is there anything that I can be doing to help the Korean adoptee community? Um, there's lots of ways to engage um, with us. Yeah, sure. Um, if you want to learn, just learn more about like adoptees for justice and their work that they do. Um, if you are connected to anyone like on the political, like uh, in the House or the Senate who could help with um, getting um, resolutions signed and passed. Um, we, Georgia actually did, did pass a state resolution supporting this bill. So Georgia's okay. done a lot and we have adoptees or I'm sorry, we have Asian Americans advancing justice, which is an excellent organization. Um, and actually Steph, Stephanie chose the executive director of it. And she's also a Korean adoptee. Mm -hmm. Um, they have done a lot 
uh, for, uh, you know, adoptees without, without citizenship, getting the information out and the support. Um, the, uh, what is the station? The Korean station. What is the Korean uh, television station? KTN. KTN. Yeah. Yes. So KTN uh, did a fundraiser for us a couple years ago, and um, they raised a lot of money for the adoptees for justice and oh. um, invited us. It was like a yeah, pretty much all day event. And they had like a festival going on, flea markets, people were selling stuff at their radio, at their television station. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, whenever we do events like that, you know, just spread the word and, you know, and that's, that's, yeah, those are some ways. A lot of stuff, of course, this last year, um, we haven't been able to do anything. Right. So. COVID, yeah. yeah. So, so um, adoptees, just, adoptees for justice is that what it's called uh -huh. adoptees for justice yes mm -hmm. adoptees org. okay and are there any other kind of organizations that um like other korean americans can kind of follow to help you know spread the spread the news of what they're doing or like support them in any way sure the ones that i've gotten involved in like con con.net mm -hmm. is that the it uh, well so it's k-a-a-n mm -hmm. um that's like one of the stronger ones that's um, like in the US, ICA, which is the International Korean Adoptee Association. That's like an international one. That's actually when I went back uh, two years ago to meet my birth family, I actually went to that conference because they connect, they bring in adoptees from all over the world. Oh, wow. So it was really, it was a really cool experience and they do uh, conferences. So at these conferences, people are wondering, like, there are like workshops um, that people put on, like some ones like on, I always did a relationship one. Um, there's like identity, there's, um, well, other stuff like, you know, just adoptee issues that you don't normally get to talk to other adoptees about. They have those types of programs at these yeah. conferences. Um, and then like, if you want to learn the language, they'll have someone there helping, you know, teach language and stuff. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. And it was really neat. It was a fun time. My sister also came with me and it was her first time there too. And we did like a scavenger hunt uh, throughout. So we had to go all over Seoul. It was really neat. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> stuff. Yeah. So it's a really good experience. So yeah. So those types of things. The uh, government is also starting to do more stuff like they call them like birth, what do you call it? Birth, homeland tours or return where you can sign up to go back to Korea if you've never been before, you know. Oh, wow. Um, and they'll send you. And um, yeah, so they're starting to offer to do like more stuff like that. Mm. So, wow. so, I mean, yeah, because I feel kind of guilty because <laughs> I didn't know, I actually thought it was pretty rare for a Korean adoptee to be here. Like, I, I didn't know that that was a, like you threw out the number like 400,000 uh, Korean children were adopted out of the country. That's a yeah. huge number. And I, I didn't know that there was that big of a community out there. Um, and yeah, just, just I, I feel bad because I, uh, I feel like um, we could be doing more to support uh, Korean adoptees, um, yeah. um, but yeah, it, yeah. It just I was like, ignorant towards it. So thank you for the information. Yeah. yeah, no, don't feel guilty. And that's something else I want to say too. like, I am pretty open talking about being an adoptee in my experience. But there are a lot of adoptees who don't want to talk mm. about it. They yeah. don't want to address it. They and I've learned that through being here in Atlanta, where I, you know, I think, oh, everyone's like me, you know, but no, they're, they're not going to come out and talk about it. And they don't want you to, you know, acknowledge it or yeah. like, yeah, so you do have to be careful. Everyone's very different with that. Um, you know, like I'll post stuff, events of us doing adoptive stuff all the time. And I have to be very careful because some of the adoptees who come to the events, they don't want to be put out there like they're in this community. So, mm. yeah. So, but no, don't feel, yeah, don't feel that way at all. Um, you know, everyone's different and, and yeah, I mean, you just, until you actually meet someone who's like open and wanting, you know, you're not going to have that experience. Um, but yeah. Yeah. yeah, and um, and I also wanted to ask, kind of, uh, one interesting thing about your story is, you know, like you were said, that, I'm sorry, like you said, you were married to a Caucasian person, mm -hmm. but now now you're in a relationship with the with an Asian American, right? So, mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you, kind of, um, like how like how different is it, you know, and like how did that come about? Like, is there things that you have to adjust to and things like that? Yeah, no, it's d definitely very different. Um, 
because I have never dated a non-white male before. Mm-hmm. So, and he, so he is Korean American and, um, you know, he's also divorced and he actually, this is also the first time he had, he, he has a child. So this is the first time I've also dated someone with a child. Um, and yeah, so he pretty much grew up very much in a Korean, uh, traditional family. And so I'm learning a lot from him. Um, he, he didn't actually grow up in Korea. He grew up in the Philippines. So mm-hmm. he did, he returned to Korea, um, for high school and finished high school there. Um, and he was born in Korea, but he, then he, his family moved to the Philippines and then he moved back for high school. And then from high school, he moved to actually Oklahoma where I'm from. And he went to college at Oklahoma State University. So I think that's one of the things that really connected us. So, um, you know, that was like his really first experience living in the United States. Mm-hmm. And, um, so, so yeah, we got connected through the uh, KAC community um, and it's been fun. I, I learn a lot. If I have questions, you know, I ask him and he, you know, he's usually able to answer or, or find the answer if he doesn't have it. Mm-hmm. When I was going through the whole reunion and learning about my birth family, that's actually when we started dating. So, um, he was re- really supportive with that. Mm-hmm. Um, his family does a lot of traditional Korean stuff and, um, which I'd never experienced before. So that's really neat. Um, yeah. Um, but it is, this is what's interesting. Like every Korean American's experience is different. Like all, he thinks all of his experience are very Korean and normal, but then I'll go to my other friends that are Korean American. They're like, we don't do that anymore. <laughs> like, you know, so, um, that's what's, yeah. So I am learning a lot. Um, I've become very comfortable hearing the language. So I, I don't know the language, but I hear it. And I, you know, so that's something new to me. Like mm. it's comforting almost to hear it. And, um, and I think that eventually will help me maybe like learn more. I, I've learned more words, but not hearing Korean for like 40 years and then all of a sudden hearing it all the time, you know. So I feel like the last few years um, I've changed a lot, you know. Uh, and on the subject of reunification, I, I wanted to ask you, um, yeah, I don't know if I don't know if you already answered this or not, but um, in terms of like letting your your adoptive parents know that you're going through this process like how was that like did you feel any sort of tension or like because you know you can almost feel like apologetic right like, like mm-hmm. as if I don't want to come off like I'm, I'm saying that you weren't great parents so I'm gonna go try to find my like original family right so like yeah how was that like so that is actually an issue that a lot of adoptees have. And I think when you ask a lot of adoptees, like, you know, if you're going to search, the first thing they think about is like, they don't want to hurt their adoptive family's right. feelings. My situation was kind of like, and I've kind of always been like this too, is I'm just going to do what I want and they'll deal with it. <laughs> like, and then my parents know that my parents actually were very supportive. I think so my dad's remarried um, and, and I am closer to my mom and my mom, you know, my mom, I think was a little bit more like, okay, you know, like she was supportive, but and my dad, I don't think he really understood, um, you know, but they, no, they, n- at no point did I feel like they were like, don't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, my mom was very supportive. She actually made a photo album for my birth family um, of me from my baby pictures all the way up to now and put a lot of work and time into it. So I took that with me to Korea and gave it to them. Wow. Um, and, you know, she, she thought it was great. And, and I think it's also like, you know, I'm in my forties now. So I think my mom's just like, why would you not want to know that? Maybe if I would have done this in my twenties or, you know, maybe it would have been different, Mm. (laughs) but I think now, you know, where I'm at, she's like, why would you not want to know that? Um, my, yeah, I think my dad was supportive, but he did, you know, he's, he, he didn't know what, what to say, but no, they thought it was cool. And, um, but no, I do know that there's been situations where, um, adoptees have had issues with their adoptive families not supporting them and actually like stop they will stop talking to them oh, um, wow. or communicating with their birth family um but no I didn't have that situation my um and then you know also I'll share my sister also decided to re or reach out and did the paperwork and she also found out she you know she also kind of connected with her birth family too Mm -hmm. she hasn't met them in person yet but surprisingly her story is the same as mine so she's the youngest of five daughters and she was also given up because she was a girl (laughs) so man yeah yeah, so so i know like growing up i always knew that um like the korean like tradition was like like 
males are more important, right? Because they mm-hmm. can carry on the family name, all that kind of archaic stuff, right? But mm-hmm. I just, I just didn't know that it was that serious where like they would mm-hmm. give up um, children because they weren't male. So is that, yeah. I mean, there's two people that already that we know of, like, is, is that pretty common? Oh yeah. No, actually I've seen, cause there's a, there's a Facebook group of Korean, it's private for only Korean adoptees. I think there's like 8,000 of us in it. And mm-hmm. um, they are like, I've seen many others who've had the same situation where they'll, <laughs> they'll find out. Yeah. So back wow. then, yes. And I think it also was a little bit more like Korea made a lot of money off of selling us. <laughs> and I think mm-hmm. they were encouraged because in my sister's family, so my sister's par- birth parents are both alive. So her birth mother is the one who wrote her the letter back, basically saying in a way that she was really upset when she, you know, found out my sister was learned, my sister was a girl and the nurse, I guess, talked her into giving her up for adoption. So um, I think that's the story. I have a feeling that it's probably happened. I think a lot of um, families that, you know, they, you know, having another daughter to, and another mouth to feed, and they're already like having like, you know, they already have six kids already, like, it probably was easier to think, oh, okay, I can, this baby will have a better life, and I'll, and I'll get some money. <laughs> so, but yeah, and I also will say something else with dating uh, Korean Americans. Um, so my uh, boyfriend now, um, he his family has been very supportive and open and, and stuff me being an adoptee, but I know a lot of Korean American families, there's no way at all they would allow their Korean American child to date an adoptee. And I know a lot of adoptees who've gone through that because we're not seen, you know, as being Korean enough. So another like, you know, situation is like, I have been fortunate in that. And I do have a lot of adoptee friends who've been hurt in situations like that. So maybe as Korean Americans, that could be something, <laughs> you know, Korean Americans sort yeah. of as, you know, um, but it's not just that. I mean, you like, you know, a lot of Korean Americans don't want their children or Asian Americans don't want their children dating or settling down with anyone who's not, you know, Asian too. Mm. So. Yeah, no, I think for the yeah. Korean American listeners out there, that, that's something that we definitely need to work on. Um, yeah, being, I think, first of all, being more aware um, because all these things I'm, I'm learning and they're blowing my mind. Um, but also being more, ex- uh, acceptive and more welcome. Mm-hmm. And that's something, yeah. Um, I mean, there's a lot of faults with, I mean, for all the good that the first generation did, like the, the traditional Korean Americans, you know, they worked really hard to, um, provide a good life for the second generation Korean Americans here. But I mean, you know, they're not without their faults. So they have all these really archaic ways of thinking, um, that I think us as, uh, second generation Korean Americans need to try to help them change um, mm-hmm. to influence them to say hey like that is not okay to think these ways um, to, to say that they're not Korean enough I mean whatever that means you know um, mm-hmm. like those kind of things I think um, whenever we get the chance uh, we, we need to really combat that and try to try to fix in the in the minds of our parents and you know grandparents and things like that mm-hmm. yeah well so um Amanda, we're uh, approaching the hour mark, um, mm-hmm. and I asked this to all my guests. Um, is there any part of your story um, and anything that we talked about that um, you wanted to get into that we, we didn't get into? No, I'm trying to think. I think I covered everything. Um, you know, I just want to, again, stress, you know, all of us, you know, we're all very different. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there is, yeah, you know, it's just, I, there's a lot of similarities actually with Korean adoptees and Korean Americans, a lot of similarities. So I think as like for the Koreans and Korean Americans out there, yeah, just, you know, just open up and, and yeah, you're welcome. Get in contact with me when we start having events again, you know, um, I'll invite you come join us. Um, and then KAC also is a great organization. I really want to push if you can get involved and attend any of our stuff. We have a good time. So. Mm, awesome. Well, well, thank you so much um, for opening up and sharing your story with us, Amanda. Um, I, I learned a ton. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, some of the things that you said are still kind of like rattling in my brain. Like I can't really like, I'm still processing them. Um, but I'm really, I'm really thankful for the opportunity to, to increase my own awareness of, you know, the adoptees, Korean American adoptees. Yeah, thank you. This has been great. So for other listeners out there, um, if you have any questions or any feedback, please feel free to reach out to me at ihthtpodcast at gmail.com. That's 
I hope they hear this abbreviated at uh, podcast at gmail.com. Any questions that you might have for Amanda, um, feel free to uh, let me know and I'll, I'll uh, try to make sure. Uh, I'll channel those questions to you, Amanda, um, um, so that you can get those answered. And uh, uh, yeah, follow us on Instagram at I hope to hear this. And you can see the video um, of this podcast on YouTube. Just search I hope to hear this. And uh, yeah, uh, again, Amanda, thank you so much for your time. And for listeners, thank you for listening.